Welcome to another episode of Affirming Methodism, Embracing Diversity and Inclusion. I am your co-host, Dr. Brittany Bethel, serving as the Director of Student Ministry and Adult Discipleship at Light of Christ UMC in Charlotte, North Carolina. This month's episode of the podcast will explore the challenges and triumphs of those who chose to remain United Methodist in the face of disaffiliation. And I'm Marianne Romanat, the lead pastor here at Light of Christ. We're excited to have you join us today, whether you're part of our local church or tuning in from afar. And we're here to engage in an ongoing conversation about a hopeful future for the United Methodist Church, the broader church, and Light of Christ in particular. We have a powerful and emotional episode ahead. We're joined by three incredible guests who have endured the disaffiliation process, but have chosen to stay true to their United Methodist faith. Before we dive into their stories, let's take a moment to reflect on the significance of this issue. The United Methodist Church, as many of you know, has faced considerable turmoil in recent years due to disagreements over LGBTQ inclusion, biblical interpretation, and other divisive issues. This has led to a painful and heart-wrenching process of churches splitting, leaving many loyal United Methodists feeling displaced and hurt. We're here today to shed light on the deeply personal stories behind this process and the profound harm it has caused. Our goal is not only to share these stories, but also to explore how we can support those who remain and want to have an ongoing powerful Christian witness. Our first guest today is Jen Hedrick, who has experienced the disaffiliation process in her local church. She has seen the impact of a divisive disaffiliation vote firsthand. Jen, thanks for joining us. I am grateful to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jen and I have worked together in several different environments, uh, first at Carolina Cross Connection and then serving together at her local church in Concord when I was on staff there some years back. Jen is a great friend, an incredible youth pastor, and is passionate about giving all people the opportunity to meet and follow Jesus. Jen, can you start by telling us a bit about your background in the United Methodist Church and your connection to your current UMC? Absolutely. So I, I grew up in the United Methodist Church. It is the only denomination that I've really ever known. Uh, my parents um, were incredibly involved as United Methodist. Um, they served on committees. They were leaders. They've been teachers for um, way over 50 years. Um, so I grew up there. Uh, first 17, 18 years of my life um, as a devout United Methodist. Um, I fell into the pattern that most uh, post-high school graduates do where I decided that I could be spiritual and sleep in late um, on Sunday. So I sort of, uh, I went away from the church, I guess, not so much God. Um, and then when I, when I started a, a family of my own, um, my husband and I decided that we didn't want to raise heathens. Um, and so <laughs> we, uh, we sought a church out that sort of mirrored the one that I grew up in. Uh, children and family ministries and youth, um, strong spiritual formation and, um, you know, servant leadership. So that's when I was sort of reintroduced to the Methodist church um, as, as an adult. Um, it was a place that offered us a faith community, 
um, an extended family um, and people that uh, that genuinely loved us. So that was sort of the first chapter of United Methodist um, uh, churches in my life. Um, then uh, once once we got established in in our church with our kids, we started volunteering um, with youth, uh, specifically with middle school kids, because as it turns out, those are my people. Yes. Amen. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and we share the same sense of humor. Um, I like hanging out with people that sustain themselves on cheese balls and Mountain Dew. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the more I hung out um, with, with students, the more I realized that maybe I was being nudged into something uh, that was a little bit more um, impactful um, on 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 what it was I was doing in ministry, and I started to feel like I was being called um, in, into ministry. And um, as God has a way of doing, He looked down and said, "Okay, you go do this now." Um, and so that's how I sort of stepped into the world of of youth ministry. Um, that was a little over twenty years ago. Um, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm still doing. So, yeah, so cool. So, Janet, can you explain how your church entered into the disaffiliation process and how that process affected you personally and also your local church? This is where we get into the hot topic. <laughs> okay. Um, this is going to sound sort of ignorant. I don't know when that shift started happening um, because I don't know that I was really aware of what was happening. Um, I think everything right now in our lives, um, as we know it, uh, is the, the benchmark is COVID. So if we can go back just a little bit before COVID, um, I feel like my church was starting to have some discussions about, um, I was hearing terminology like traditionalist and progressive, and I remember, and I don't know why this sticks out in my head, I remember seeing these um, scenarios where they were using sugar packets to, to explain what traditionalist and what progressive was. And we, we were having these conversations, but they were very ambiguous. Um, and, and it just sort of sat in the back of my mind. Um, but you start to see, as we look back, where this thin line is starting to be drawn. Um, and then as we moved Further into COVID, I became aware that there were some there were some meetings that were happening, but they weren't necessarily churchwide meetings. They were sort of an invitation meeting, and I think that's when I realized that this line was getting to be a little bit bigger. Uh, you started seeing more sort of this side and that side beginning to 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 happen right down the middle, um, and you'd see these same clusters of people that were starting together here and there, and you became aware that you were not part of some of these conversations. Um, and you would walk into a room, and <laughs> everybody would be quiet. Mm. Um, so I guess it was it was about two summers ago. Um, we, we had just, as a church, started coming out of the, this COVID fog. Um, we had gotten a new minister, and that's when everything started to accelerate. Not because of the new minister, but just that timing. Um, so that minister that we had just gotten later shared with me at the tail end of this, and this was a little disheartening, that as soon as he had arrived, 
um, that he had been met with some people in his office within the, the, the week of, that he arrived saying, we're going to enter into the disaffiliation process and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Mm. Um, and so it, it went real quick um, after that. Um, that's how he spent his entire time, his, his tenure at our church was um, just in the middle of this, this battle uh, back and forth. Um, so there were sermons, there were guest speakers, um, lots of little gatherings in the parking lot. And um, honestly, if I hear the word discernment one more time, <laughs> I'm just going to start throwing cheese balls. It's fair. Um, so how else do we want to keep going about? Yes. Okay. How did it affect you? Okay. Oh, it's the worst season of my life so far. Um, but if we fast forward uh, to January of this year, that's when we had our vote. Um, the way that it affected me personally was I knew it was coming. We, I mean, I saw the writing on the wall, and they, um, the, the side that, that wanted to disaffiliate had really done their homework. They, had, um, they were a well-oiled machine, and there was no doubt in my mind that my church would vote to disaffiliate. Um, on the day of the vote, um, as we understand it, you, um, you make sure that everybody who, who is there to vote is a member. So there was lots of time spending uh, making phone calls, making sure people were there at church. And what bothered me so bad the day of the vote were how many people showed up to vote one way or another that in my 20 years I had never laid eyes on those people. And it, it bothered me because I'm like, where are we when we do the work of the church right. and we're talking about Jesus, where you been? You know, but they, they came to vote. Now, I will say this, in all fairness, that was on both sides. That was to stay and, and to, to disaffiliate. But it was, it was a pensive day. Um, one of the rules is that you have to have at least two-thirds of the vote in order to disaffiliate, and we voted to stay United Methodist, which I think just blew everybody's mind, um, and it was only by about 12 or 13 votes. Mm. So it split us, that line that we had seen sort of drawn in the sand split us literally right down the middle. Um, so the, the group that had voted to disaffiliate had the majority, they mm -hmm. had more votes, yeah. but we had the, you know, the fraction that, that was needed. Um, and I will say, looking back nine months ago, the day of the vote has been the easiest day because everything else has been just hard. Um, so for me personally, um, it's been a divorce. Um, it's been losing family. It's been losing people that you really thought for the longest time that you were um, connected by something and that something no longer exists um, as far as a church. And, the you know, these people saw you at your worst and at your best, and they cried with you and they laughed with you and they did, you know, what, you know, they did, they, they did the work of the church and, 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 and you lived with Jesus through these people, and now you just, they're, they're gone. And there was, for a lot of people, there was no announcement 
It's just you were sitting there and you realized six weeks later, hey, I haven't seen them. Oh, I guess they left. And that's been that's been really, really hard. And probably the worst part is when you sort of sit back and you look at, you know, you look at what's left and you're going, how is this church? How does this look like church? How is what we're doing right now? How is this the bride of Christ? Um, And that's what's been um, that's what's been hard. And then, you know, during covid you're trying to adapt and you're trying to do things differently so you can do ministry. So you're just now coming out of all of that. And now you're just sitting here with, you know, holding ruins in your hand, trying to figure out how to move forward. So it's just been trying to, to understand what people need on top of the healing um, to move forward. So that's my short answer. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing it. I think from afar, um, I, I was only there for two and a half years. And so I, I think from afar watching it, it was mind blowing. Um, and all Taylor and I could think about is how's Jen, you know, like what's going on there and how's that going? Because your heart is for all people. It always has been for all people. And, um, and even for people that walk away, I mean, I know you love those people so dearly and, um, and so, yeah, I, uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, um, for sure. Thank you. Because this church, we didn't do that, you know, and so I'm, I'm grateful to be able to hear and, and understand from all of you um, how this is affecting you. And so I, I'm just really grateful for you being so honest in that. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. I know uh, this is a continual sore subject. It, The healing of this is going to take maybe your lifetime, you know, uh, and because these people are family. <laughs> uh, and so. Um, but knowing that, can you can you talk to us about your hope for the future of your church, uh, and ro- what role specifically do you see your students playing in in that future? Um, as I've over the past um, twenty or so years that I've I've been involved with students and student ministry, at this particular point when we had voted to disaffiliate, I had um, I had actually resigned uh, from doing youth ministry. Um, just, I was at a good place in my life. My, my oldest son had graduated and was off to college. It was a good time for me to take a step back and maybe, um, you know, redirect uh, where I wanted to do ministry. Um, and then after the disaffiliation, one of the things that happened is um, we no longer had a church staff. There were lots of lots of tentacles that wrapped itself around around the whole thing, and some you could see coming, and some you didn't expect. So, um, I was asked to consider um, stepping back into youth ministry, and um, the the weird thing again is during COVID, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to do Zoom meetings, you learn how to meet outside, and then suddenly, you're left without anybody to minister to. And so along with, you know, programming staff, we lost a lot of the kids that were in our, in our student ministry. And so I said, you know, I'll step back into it. And one of the things um, that, and I'm going to be very, very honest about this, um, and this is hard to admit, um, a lot of the ministry that I've been involved with since our disaffiliation has come from a place of spite. Um, and it's, I got to redirect that because my heart is broken. And so a lot of the things that, that 
well, that I can't speak for anybody else, that I'm doing is like, oh, yeah, you're not taking this from me. Watch this. That's, yeah. And I hate to say it, but, but <laughs> yeah. it's a great motivation. <laughs> um, but here's what I will say. What I hope for my kids, I have three. And they are my favorite trinity right now. Um, they are involved in every facet of worship, of outreach, of programming. They are leaders in our congregation. They are not just a group that meets on Sundays in the, you know, in the basement room at the end of the hall, which is where we're supposed to be. So they are in the forefront of what we are doing, and I love that because they are involved, they are educated, and they are aware, and they have a voice. Yes. Um, and so I love that. Um, one of the great things about having just a few is that I can pour so much into them. Everybody knows who they are. Everybody um, is kind and generous and gentle and compassionate. Um, and my hope for my church right now is that we've come out of the other side of this and we are very, very tight. We work hard. We have a common purpose. Um, this whole thing, and I'm sure, you know, on both sides, what's, what's been so hard is it's been a distraction from the work that we need to be doing. Um, but I think it's made us better. I think it's made us more focused on Christ and on each other. Um, and we need to get back to the work at hand. So for my students, um, I just see that um, – Everything that we do, we do it together. Um, we do it with the purpose of glorifying Christ, and we don't worry about what we're leaving behind in the past. We take it, we learn from it, and we do better. Yeah, good. Prayers abound, my Thank friend. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> many, absolutely. Many, many. We need them. Thank for, you. For you and, our, and your students and for the whole church that remains. So, um, and for the people God is sending. So what are some ways that you think other United Methodist churches can support churches who have, that have gone through the disaffiliation process? I love this question because um, we, as soon as, as soon as we voted to stay, one of the first questions that we asked each other was, how can we help? What can we do? Because one of the things that, that happened, again, that I don't think I saw coming was all of a sudden you don't have the same people. You don't have the same resources, and you have to get creative. But one of the wonderful things about this is as people have stepped up and stepped in, you see new ideas coming from places that maybe didn't feel like they had a voice that was being heard before, you know, when we were heading heading towards this vote. But I love when people say, how can we help? And I think one of the best things, sort of like what we're doing right here, right now, is to offer up, you know, a box of tissue and a pint of Ben and Jerry's and <laughs> say, tell me about your pain, tell me about your experience. And I think being able to listen to be in a dialogue, to share ideas about experiences is one of the most cathartic things, at least for me, um, in, in this process of healing. I think if we wallow in it um, and we, we play victims or, you know, I, and I, I'll be honest, I hate social media and what this has done. Um, 
to the denomination and it's a great way to communicate it's a great way to share ideas but at the same time it's been it's been such a manipulative way to send out misinformation and honestly if you don't know the answer to something don't speculate um, because I don't like seeing people saying, well, if you're United Methodist, this is what you believe or what you don't believe. And, and I'm going to quote my oldest son right now. This is one of my favorite things I've ever heard him say. Relax, man, you don't even know me. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I just, um, if you want to know what I think or what I believe, ask me. You know, ask me, and I would much rather be in conversation than to somebody say, well, because you go to church here, this is what you think, and this is what you believe. Yeah. Because even with the people that, are, that have chosen to leave or chosen to stay, we can't say for certainty who somebody is or what they're going through because in, in seasons of our life, you know, we change how we think. We change how we communicate. And so I love the fact that people are asking, you know, what's your experience? What can we do to help? And I think just having an open dialogue is, is absolutely key moving forward. It's really good. Uh, thank you uh, for your willingness to speak to us and, and help this church understand how we can hold space for churches and colleagues who are going through this process. Uh, sometimes we overlook things when they're not in our own backyard. But the truth is people are hurting. And we have the opportunity to show the love of Jesus in these moments and stand with you. And boy, do we stand with you. Um, thank you, Jim. Yep. Our next two guests are John and Allison Brady. They were also part of a local United Methodist Church, which was heading toward the disaffiliation process. And they now call Light of Christ home. John and Allison have become a vital part of Light of Christ, serving on the welcome team and in student ministry. And thank you both for coming to speak with us today. Having us. Thank you for having us. So can you explain how your previous church decided to enter into the disaffiliation process and how did that process affect you personally and the church family? So for me and us, <clears throat> this conversation, uh, as far as the disaffiliation date, took place after we had left. However, prior to COVID, prior to all of those changes, kind of way this very similar story that you hear often which is we did not have open dialogue um it was very much behind closed doors conversation stopping things like that it was more of for us it was a feeling from all member all you know leadership within the church of kind of the direction the church was headed even though it was not stated outwardly uh while we were there the conversation was going that direction um for us, it was more about just total inclusivity. That's what we're looking for because for us, we don't discern any differences between people other than personalities. Everything, everyone's the same. Everyone is equal. Everyone is, we're all part of God's plan, right? So that's, we could not understand how you start putting people in different buckets in different places and separate people out. That didn't make sense to us. So we were looking for a place that was more accepting and COVID kind of, kind of put a thing where it gave us a pause. It gave us a chance to step back, take a look at where we were with our walk. Um, I did not grow up in the Methodist church. I grew up uh, in my father's side was Catholic. My mother's side was Pentecostal. So we had a very interesting background. Um, and then my father, his parents divorced. He ended up in the church of God. So, I mean, I have a, a whole 
uh, stew kind of going on. So it, it, I did not understand all the different doctrines and all the differences, and I could not discern those differences. Allison um, did grow up in the church, and then since we have been together, which is 30-plus uh, years, um, I've been part of the Methodist church. So for me, it was all I, I never understood um, how you start separating people out. So we were looking for a place that was much more inclusive, much more accepting of everyone. So during COVID, um, you know, we took a pause, as John said, and towards the end of COVID, my dad, my daddy got real sick. Um, and so I went to visit with him and spend time with him. And I started attending a church that my sister attends and my mama now attends. And it is, um, it was amazing to me. It was what I was looking for. Um, it was welcome to all. They talked about, you know, it doesn't matter your race. You know, it doesn't matter your social economic. It doesn't matter any of these things. You are welcome here. And that just opened my heart. And I feel that through that, I also started looking at that's not what I'm getting at home. I may want to make a shift. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, can you uh, share the impact that the disaffiliation process had on your faith journey? As I talked with friends and family about what was going on within the United Methodist Church and the General Conference and what the possibilities of moving through this division, I really felt the Holy Spirit convict me. Um, you know, he I felt convicted to love better, to love more. Um, I felt my heart open, and I felt aware of my privilege. And I think that, you know, when you become aware of your privilege, you become aware of people who are not as privileged as you. And I think that, you know, I felt that conviction. And I w I've worked really hard to try to study and learn about people who and communities who are on the margins. Um, and that has become really a big part of my heart. And I think that the impact of disaffiliation has been bad because I've grieved the loss of friends and family. Um, but I have been overcome with joy with this new feeling of love and hope and acceptance for other people. So for me, I have to kind of say it was kind of like pruning a bush, you know? It's, it's, it feels for me that it has become this joyous, this joyous event. So for me, um, it, it <coughs> very cynically gave me the reason initially to step back and say, see, this is why people don't like the church. This is what this is what everybody's upset with. So I had that kind of anger, so to speak. Um, and it just, I, I was looking for something to justify my anger, and that kind of gave it to me. Um, and, and I was lost. The I've been, the LGBTQ community has been part of my life since I was a teen. And it's, I, I can't tell you how important it is to me. With that being said, I couldn't understand how somebody can can not be accepted because of that. It just made no sense to me. So we were looking, and Allison was telling me about the church she had attended while visiting her father, and it gave me hope. And I reached out to a friend of mine who is a Methodist minister who understood what I was looking for, and he gave me light of Christ. So... Allison came one weekend, and she came back. She says, you need to go with me next weekend. And I walked in, and I got Brittany's beautiful voice booming out. 
which just welcomed me in the door. I have Pastor Marianne laid something on my heart that day that we walked out, and I said, I'm, I'm home. I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And so for me, it almost gave me, the, the, the disaffiliation almost strengthened my heart and put me in the right place, a place I was not originally, and it gave me a path that I did not even know existed that I, in my lifetime within the church, had never seen. And it just opened up so many avenues to me that I didn't know were there before. And so I'm grateful, I'm grateful for it, to be honest with you. Um, as far as the affiliation with friends and family and, of our old church, I'm always open to them. They're always welcome. I have no ill will. I have nothing but love for all of them. I just I hope that they're able to sit down and, and God can show them what he's shown to us. We're so grateful for your part in our family, and we're grateful that God led you here. And so talk to us about leaving. You know, when you made that difficult decision to leave a church that meant so much to you and the people who had become like family to you, what was it like to make that decision and then make that transition to a new church home? The decision to leave um, in some ways was very difficult. Our daughter was baptized in that church. It was only the second Methodist church that I had ever been a member of. Um, it was home, so many memories, so many good friends, and so much camaraderie and so much work that we did for the Lord. Um, so leaving there, like it was, it was a grieving process. You know, it was the the heartbreak the anger of having to leave, the anger of, of that, and then the tears and the prayer, the amazing, you know, I mean, just hours of prayer to make the decision to say, you know what, I have to follow what I've been convicted. I have to do what the Lord's laid on my heart. Um, I, have, I have some of my dearest friends in that, in that church and that I still to this day hold very dear. Um, I pray that those friendships will continue to grow, even though that we may disagree about this, that we can come to a point of understanding that we still serve the same God and that we still are children of God. Um, so that's kind of that. But it was a very emotional experience for me um, and one that I really don't ever want to go through again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I would I would echo the same thing. We like Allison said, we you know our daughter was was baptized in that church. Um, we watched her grow up. We watched you know all of friends and family's children grow up. We we've been to weddings. We've been to funerals. So many shared experiences that you don't just walk away from easily. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, but when a light is shown elsewhere, and for me. It was not once once the light was shown. It was not a, it was not even a choice. I was just automatically led a, a different direction, and I'm grateful. My hope for the United Methodist Church is that we can continue to be the hands of Jesus Christ and that we continue to do the work of the Lord. 
Um, my hope is that we can continue to serve God, that we can continue to be an instrument of peace and love, and that we can remember that everyone is wonderfully and uniquely made by God as a child of God. Amen. That, that is my hope for the United Methodist Church. Um, my hope for Light of Christ is very similar. It's the same. Um, but I also hope that Light of Christ can continue to be that beacon that we saw, that can be that light, that can help others to find that love and connectedness and community that means so much to us. For sure. As this painful process continues, there's just going to be more and more folks that are, that are in the situation that we're in that are looking for that home. I think um, I take every opportunity I can, which if anyone knows me, knows this so far out of my character, to constantly talk about whether it's you know on social media, people looking for a home, whether it's just conversations, people looking for a church home. I, I'm constantly throwing light of Christ out. Just only we'd love to have you. Um, I've never done that in my life. That's never been part of my process. Um, and for me to do that, I, I see a path. I see a way out of this. Um, our children's generation is far more accepting and far more um, understanding of people's differences and challenges than, than mine ever was. And I'm so proud of them. But in order for the church to survive and thrive, they're going to need to embrace that generation. And I see Light of Christ is much more in line where that generation is as far as openness and understanding and acceptance. Those are things that for, for the United Methodist Church as a whole, they're going to need to embrace in my mind to see them move forward and keep succeeding. Amen. Our students are leading us forward, and I certainly reflect regularly on the fact that my main goal at this point in my ministry is to make sure that I leave the church uh, in a condition where they can fully embrace and be part of it. Absolutely. So we're so humbled and grateful for the three of you. Thank you so much for sharing from your heart. We hear your heart and we love you and we pray that God will continue to use you as leaders in the church and give you the strength to do that. So as we wrap up this episode, uh, it's important to recognize that the pain and loss experienced by our guests today um, is not unique. The many United Methodists across our country are going through similar struggles. Um, to those who find themselves in these challenging situations, remember that you are not alone and your commitment to love, inclusivity, and the United Methodist tradition is a beacon of hope. And we want to encourage our listeners to reach out to others who may be going through similar experiences, offer support and empathy and understanding, um, sit down and eat some cheese balls and drink some Mountain Dew together and listen, you know, to what is going on. Um, together we can heal and strengthen our faith communities. We look forward to brighter days ahead as God leads us forward. And I do believe that that is coming. Better days are ahead. Yes, Lord. <laughs> From Mary Ann's mouth to your ears, God. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of Affirming Methodism. We hope that by sharing these stories, we can shed light on the pain caused by disaffiliation and inspire hope for those who wish to remain true to their United Methodist beliefs. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode of Affirming Methodism, which is always released monthly on the last Wednesday of the month. 
You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and YouTube by searching for Affirming Methodism Pod. Our next episode will be released on November 29th. So go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss new content as it's released. As always, we encourage you to love God, love your neighbor, and affirm and celebrate the beauty in you. Thank you.